felt encouraged to, to message him and, and encourage him as well because, you know, everybody needs that. So make space for God. And it might not be something for anybody here or anybody else, but it could just be somebody else out there that you, you know, God's just saying, I need you to encourage that person. A little gentle encouragement always goes a long way. Great. All right, so this morning... I'm going to be uh, talking on a topic that um, hopefully doesn't get us too deep, but gives us a little bit of encouragement and challenges us a little bit. As I'm a firm believer that, you know, you've got to go away from a place like this asking questions and seeking more. So this morning I'm talking about, about living with the mindset of a resurrected life. Deep, eh? Real deep. <laughs> so... If we ever think about it, we can go, look, there's a difference between knowing the Jesus that walked the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and the Jesus that has been raised from the dead. And this is the Jesus that is alive today, the one that was raised. So this morning, I want to share with you that interesting concept, the concept of how we are actually viewing our own theology, you know, how we view our own worldview and our mindset. Because, and that because of the victory and belief in Jesus who was raised from the dead, we should be living with a mindset of a resurrected life. You see, as St. Augustine, I don't know if many of you know this guy, but he, his writing influenced the development of Western philosophy and Western Christianity. Uh, Christianity. 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 <laughs> he said, we are a resurrection people, so we must have a resurrection mindset. We must live with that. Having a mindset focused on religiosity limits our thinking. It limits our understanding and our knowledge of who Jesus is. And it limits the idea that he was raised from the dead. It fails to see that we are now partakers in Christ's resurrection and heirs to the throne or to what he has given us, as it is pointed out in Romans 8.17. If we look at Ephesians 2 uh, verse 4 to 10, if you've got your Bibles with you, it says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of your own selves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus from good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what an encouragement, and I think that's the beauty of the Christian faith, that we are saved by grace. And it's not, you know, there's some ideas out there about all oh, the grace gospel and there's still other things to do. Yes, it is a grace gospel because that's what Jesus came to give us. And it's not an excuse for, enough for us to not do good works because I believe that, you know, if you have faith in Christ and you want to reflect his image, then all the good stuff should come alongside with it. It's not an excuse not to do it. I had a, an interesting thought on when I was writing this message. So if you imagine this, there's two brothers, right? And they won a ticket to go on a five-day cruise. The brothers were very poor, and so they knew that they couldn't afford to buy anything on the cruise ship. So instead, they took a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and figured that could last them the four days on the cruise, or five days. So whilst on the boat, they walked past and they saw all the wonderful restaurants and all the amazing buffets full of food and desserts and drinks, and you can imagine 
For those, I can't imagine it. I've never been on a cruise. It's on my bucket list to do. Ruth hates cruises and hates that kind of thing. So one day I will go and I'll meet it in the islands wherever it goes. But for those that have been on a cruise, you know what I'm talking about, right? So whilst they saw all of this, then on the very last day of the trip, they discovered that it was actually an all-expenses-paid trip. And all the restaurants full of lavish food was free. It was included in the ticket that they won. How do you think they would have felt after they discovered this? I know how I would feel after eating four days' worth of peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> and for those that were here at our first service, yes, that was our meal of choice for Ruth and our 11th wedding anniversary, peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> we were camping and we ran out of food. But anyway. Um, but, you know, that's sometimes with that mindset, that's how Christians or some Christians actually live. You know, when God has given us complete forgiveness, you know, and given us total righteousness in Christ, we live unaware of these precious gifts. And instead, and instead we seek out a meager existence of what I like to call a pauper's rations. You know, all the while the Father has set out a banquet table for us to indulge in. Let us not live with regret, but let us discover all the Father has done through Christ for us. Discovering it all and enjoying these gifts is part of our worship to him. You know, I was at John's house and Annie's house this morning and I was just, he was showing me all the fruit trees. You know, God wouldn't give us the beauty of fruit trees and go, oh, you're only allowed one. No, no, the fruit trees bear fruit to indulge ourselves in and to share with others. And that's the grace of God is to indulge in it and then to share it with others too. But we don't. We go, oh, no, I can only have one of these. I'm sorry. Let's not live like that. So I trust what I'm going to share with us this morning or with you today will give you something to chew over for some time and encourage you to walk away feeling like you need to maybe unpack a little bit of what I'm going to share because that's what I think a sermon should be. It's Don't just believe what I say, but go and unpack it. Discover some stuff for yourself. So if we come back to living with the mindset of, of a resurrected life, let's start at the very beginning and let's ask ourselves a few tough questions. So when we read our Bible, through what lens are you reading your Bible with? How do you perceive that book? How do you understand it and how do you gain perspective from it? Do you read it cover to cover, beginning to end? And when do you read the Bible and the different books, do you believe that some of those books carry a little bit more weight than the others? Do you believe that the books that contain the law carry more weight than what Solomon wrote? Or the words of Jesus carry more weight than the words of Moses? You know, where do you start and where is your center point in the scriptures? I believe that when we, we, we need to find a way to center our reading of the Bible. You see, that is that we need to find an interpretive center of our sacred text and read the scriptures from that particular vantage point. In other words, what is the lens that we're using? How are we interpreting our scripture? For me, the center point starts bang smack in the middle in the Gospels. Funny how it is actually smack bang in the middle of the Bible too, right? It's not like, actually, probably not so much center, but it is a mine. Um, that's where I put the leaflet thing. And, you know, in the, in the Gospels, the center point is Jesus. It's the cross and it's the resurrection. He is the one who forms my image and understanding of God's word. I apologize, I was meant to bring a whiteboard to show you some illustrations because I like drawing pictures and showing things. But if you imagine, you know, you've got a line from one side to the other, and in the middle is the point. So the beginning, the end, when we don't know when it's going to be, but the middle is Christ. So when I picture God, I listen to Jesus on the cross. 
I listened to him and saying the words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And from that particular vantage point, I look at all of Scripture and I try to interpret it. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, they didn't really know what they were doing. They were uncovering and discovering who God was, or God is. And they used the vantage point of, of, of getting to, the, to there. Whereas Jesus looks at it and goes, they don't really know what they're doing, so forgive them. But I'm going to show them what to do. Thus, I would look at the writings of the Torah, the prophets, the wisdom writings, all the New Testament things that, that's been written all through the lens of Christ. In other words, looking at how Jesus sees them and what they wrote about it and how everything they wrote points back to him. And this is confirmed in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was Jesus, meaning that all Scripture is inspired from him, but also points to him and gives us a, and gives us a revelation of himself. And this is confirmed if you look at Luke 24, 44, and John 5, 39. This all further advocates that Christocentric worldview of the scripture. So when we look at the Bible, how do we view it? And this is a question you can ask yourself. How do you view your Bible? I personally do not see the Bible as flat. I don't see it as a flat linear book. I don't see every verse as of equal value as each other. But what I believe in is I believe in a progressive revelation from the beginning all the way through. And we still are getting progressive revelation. We still are uncovering more of who Jesus is, right? That the Bible progressively reveals to us who God is and that we can see that in Jesus. If the Bible is flat, then everything is of equal value. Then why did Jesus have to come in the first place? And you know, what difference does his coming have on humanity? Nothing, because everything is the same. But it's not. If we see Jesus as a center point of history and also the climax of history, right, we progressively get transformed and get a better and deeper understanding of him, of who he is and of who the Bible reveals him to be. For example, if I'm standing at point B in my knowledge of Scripture and my knowledge of God, right, God meets me here at point B, but he takes me over to point C. You know, if we're at point K, God meets us there and he takes us over to point L. It's a progressive understanding of who he is. See, God is always leading us into a deeper understanding of himself. And in his kingdom if, and in his ways, only if we allow him to, if we invite him to. See, at 42 years of age, my understanding, yes, 42 years young, my understanding of God today is not what it was when I was 19. It's very different. God has been at work in me and he continually works in me. Um, as I've walked together and have progressively taken on my journey and my understanding. I think just recently I was challenged by, by some friends, um, my supervisor, I keep forgetting the name, supervisor, and, he, and just, just you know, finding inspiration again from scripture. And he says, you know what, I want you to start reading John, the book of John again. Just start reading John. It re everything in John reveals Christ. And when you finish it, go back to the beginning and read it again. And when you get finished, go back and read it again until you feel inspired to keep going with the rest of the books. And I thought, actually, that, and it's working. You know, I'm finding more and more about Jesus. I'm like, I've read this already, but it tells, it's telling me something different. I'm understanding something else, but it's the same words. And it's just God speaking to me in a different way. You see, if you ask yourself the question, how has God progressed your, how has he progressed you in your understanding of him? What are the things about the Lord that you've learned 
even in the last two weeks, the last two months, the last two years, or even longer? Like, what are some of the things that you're learning about God as you are going through your journey? When I look at Jesus and study the Bible and read the Bible as a whole, or and read the whole Bible through his lens, I begin to take on a new look on life and understanding. You know, when you read through, I find more hope, more life, more faith, more joy, more delight, and more freedom in what I call living with a resurrection mindset, knowing that, you know, he's done it all already and reading it through his lens. And by that I mean I live with an understanding that Jesus completed all that is needed for salvation and a relationship with God when he died on the cross and he rose from death to life. He did everything. Everything that was needed for humanity and the world was accomplished through the cross and through his resurrection. Because those were his last words. It is finished. And my friend in Greek would say, tetelestai. Pronunciation, right or wrong? <laughs> no? <laughs> anyway, in the Greek, tetelestai was, the, was, was a cry of victory. It wasn't a cry of defeat. So when Jesus finished and he cried it, if you imagine, it was the same kind of cry that was emulated by a Roman general who had finished a war and was riding in through Rome saying, the war is finished, it's done, I'm over, it's, we've won a major battle. That was the same cry as what Jesus would cry. You know, it was the, and that's the cry of my Jesus from the cross. You know, he won the battle. There is no more that we need to do. Yes, we still battle on, but victory was still his. Yeah? There is no more that we can do. All of our efforts are only just a drop in the ocean compared to what he has done for us. But, however, there's still a theology out there that irks me a little bit, saying that we are not good enough. You know, we're not good enough for him and that there's more that we continually need to do. And that's not just in other, look, I'm going to point them out, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, but in Christian theology too, there are still some Christians that preach this and go, no, no, you're not good enough. You need to do more. You need to do more. And it's, it's actually heartbreaking. There is, we can do more because we want to live more like him, but there's nothing more we can do to please him, you know, to earn God's favor. We don't need to do more than that, to be blessed more or to earn our ticket into eternity. I can guarantee you when you turn up to the pearly gates, if it's St. Peter, I don't know who welcomes him. <laughs> He's not going to ask you for your ticket so he can clip it and go in. They're gonna, Jesus is going to welcome you with open arms, right? So there's no ticket for those that think there is. If the gospel is good news and it is the best news, then why is it that in New Zealand most people don't want to hear that good news? And why is it that most Christians don't want to share that good news? You know, why is it that some people want to turn a deaf ear to it? Why do they mock it? Why are they afraid to share it if we're honest with ourselves? This is an honest conversation this morning. See, I think that we Christians come up with many, many reasons and many excuses. We're very good at blaming other people who we sometimes perceive, that, perceive them as hardened, we perceive them as deaf to the news or, you know, we like to blame the devil. But we never look at ourselves of how we declare the good news. Um, a, a friend of mine who's, he, he's on a journey. He's still looking and he's still seeking after God. And um, every time we have a conversation, he goes, all right, I know you're telling me about this, but do I have to sign up to this weird club and give you money? And <laughs> I'm like, where are you getting that from? But there's that thought out there. And yeah, but anyway, there's still some stuff that, that we go on, we journey on. Okay, so if we, be, if we begin to look out at how the Western church sometimes tells the story of Jesus, 
I think at times we miss the mark in so many different ways. You know, rather than the gospel being exciting for people, the way we have told it, it becomes boring, or it's unkind, or it lacks compassion. And worst of all, it's actually gone against the entire mindset of who Jesus is and what he was there to do. You know, we don't share it the way that he would obviously want it to be shared. Could you imagine, though, and I was like thinking about these kind of things, that if the, the apostles back in the day had this, the technology that we have and they have the tools that we have, how much more impact or how they'd be frothing at the mouth of the impact that they could have had right, on society back then? Because, number one, they didn't actually have a, a combined book of, or book of pages written about the Saviour. They just had life stories and tellings, but yet they were so passionate about sharing it. You know, they didn't have that combined description of Jesus and God and who he is and how he was revealed. You know, they portrayed zeal for over 200 years before everything was collated together. You know, the first, um, the, the earliest compilation of the, the texts was um, the Miracatian canon, you know, and that resembled the New Testament. But for 200 years, we saw this religion explode across the globe, the known world. Why? Because they had such passion and zeal for Christ. They didn't need to go back to scriptures. They, they just loved him and knew him and had to share him in probably some of the toughest times. You think, like, you know why they call them Roman candles, right? <laughs> we won't go into gory details, but yes. But, you know, they had tougher times than what we have. And my organization, you know, we, we often have, um, and, and John would understand what we're saying here, is that, you know, in the countries where our organization operates and works, they are under such persecution to share the gospel, and yet they do it with such passion and such zeal, and they see the church explode. And when they come here, they go, you guys have got all the freedom in the world to say and do whatever you want. No one's going to arrest you. No one's going to do anything to you. And yet you don't do it. And I'm going, you're right. You know, it's a challenge for us. So how do we do it? And I'm interested in learning more from them around the world to go, how do we change New Zealand back to what it was 100 years ago where the gospel was proudly preached? And, you know, we were, very, we were proud to, to share who, who our faith is in Jesus. Yet today, you know, with all this knowledge, with all our foresight, understanding and evidence, we do struggle to share the gospel with the same zeal as those that are before us and those that we see out there in other countries. You know, but what I love about um, these mission organizations is that when we read reports of like rural pastors that are getting supported, there is an amazing zeal that they have to share the gospel. You know, and they're not ashamed of it. They don't care that they're going to go to prison. They don't care that they're going to get arrested or killed or whatever it is. You know, they are not afraid. Then, and, but for some reason, we are. And that's a challenge for us. And you know what? I'm as vulnerable here as everybody else in the room and listening on the microphone later. You know, but what some of us can notice is that a person could be a Christian for life, and yet they still never know the freedom and joy of being a Christian. And that probably is more sad to me. You know, most people feel like failures. They weren't good enough. God isn't pleased with them, those kind of things, you know. Whereas, and maybe God's out there to get them. Thus, they lived their Christian life thinking they still had more to do to please God. And pleasing God is all what they wanted to do too. And there are some faiths out there that still preach that. We often see this in other cultures and we often see this in other religions. For those that have traveled the world, you see that in other religions that there's always more they have to give. They always have to sacrifice more. They have to please the gods. 
to get favor, to get blessings. Um, you know, they have to continually make sacrifices. Or in our world, we go, if I just give more to God, if I tithe more, maybe he'll bless me more with my finances. Well, he's already done it. There's other things you can do to get blessed. If I could do, only improve my behavior, maybe God will like me more. Well, maybe others will like you more if you improve your behavior, but God still loves you. <laughs> if I go on a missions trip, maybe God will bless me. You know, the list keeps going and it's endless, but we tell ourselves these things. So what we have seen is that the way the church, and unfortunately I lump us all in the same category, you know, has presented the gospel and has not given people that freedom and joy that the gospel is meant to give us. You know, rather, many Christian people live by struggling inwardly with guilt and with shame. And I'm telling you today, you don't need that. God has not given us the, his son for guilt and shame. He's given his son for freedom. You know, we may put on a happy face and give people the impression that we have it all together. But when you sit down with people and you break through the surfaces with them and you have those one-to-one -one discussions, they're actually quite often a mess. You know, and they feel like they're a failure as a Christian. They had this, and, and that could be just bad teaching or something in the back of their minds from way back when. But we need to break that. You know, th maybe they had a feeling that there's still more that they have to do to make it with God. And this can be hard. And why we are seeing people leaving the faith and stop coming to church, you know, because we are making it too hard on them to try and live up to God's standards and be his, or this good Christian person. Um, I recently read an article um, as well for, for a person in the overseas, and they have they've had a deep faith and understanding of God their entire life. And look, they yes, they um, have declared that they're in a same-sex relationship, but they still have an unwavering faith in God. But yet, the church that they were attending has told them you can't come to our church anymore because of what of what you think or believe. You're not good enough for God. And it's like no, they still are good enough. They got to deal. God will deal with that. Not humans. God will deal with that. And but yet our job is still to love them and to allow Jesus to love them as Jesus would. Now, we may not agree with what they do, and there's other stuff which we won't get into, but I still found it sad that the, this particular church is, won't, yeah, just said, no, you, you're ostracized. Jesus doesn't love you. And it's like, that's not what my Jesus says. He still loves you, but there's other things. Anyway, I won't get down that standard. <laughs> Anyway, Jesus says, no one is good, only God is good, right? And that is in Mark 10, verse 18. Giving to the work of the kingdom is a good thing to do. Going on a missions trip is a good thing to do. Changing your behavior to be more Christ-like is a good thing to do. But they do not add up to anything that Jesus has already done for us. You see, if we say it together, we go, tetelestai, it is finished. You know, it's done. It's the same as when I go on my running races and I get across the finish line. Well, the race is done. I can't keep running it. It's finished. And there's nothing more I can do to make the race any better because I'm finished. I wish I could have trained more and done things better, but it's nothing else I can do. God may well appreciate all the efforts that we put out there. And I'm not excusing that we shouldn't. We should definitely do it. But they can't improve on what Jesus did for us. See, God will not bless me more if I do all of these things, right? He will bless me because of what Jesus has done for me and he will bless me in my faith in him. See, many Christians are still always walking toward the cross or standing one foot on either side of the cross, but they're not receiving the work of the cross. 
You know, that is the work that is done. It is completed and completed perfectly. When we are meant to come to the cross, receive the blessing of the cross and the work that Jesus has done, then we walk through the cross and into a resurrection life and resurrection living. If we have that belief and understanding, then we are called to walk in a resurrection life. We are called to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in very simple terms, that means for me, through Jesus, we are invited to live in the kingdom now. And that's the prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done now. We don't have to wait for him to die to go and live in the kingdom, but we can bring his kingdom here and we can live in the kingdom now, today. Living with a resurrection mindset is most beautifully expressed in Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The work or outcome of Jesus on the cross is that we are now holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That is how God sees us now and in God's kingdom. So if those words are true for me, surely they must be true for you. Ephesians 1, 3-14, every verb in the passage is in the past tense. It's all completed, it's all accomplished. All I have to do now is to live in this life and accept what Jesus has done for me. Accept who he is. It's an invitation. When you get invited somewhere, you either accept it or you reject it. He's asking you to accept it. And I think and I believe that by accepting it, you live in this world with him and the future as well. You know, after I've accepted who he is and walk in the confidence that he is in me and he is with me and that I am with him. You know, I can't add to the work of Jesus and neither do I need to or want to. You know, I accept it. I believe it. And then I live it out. And I live it outwardly in my marriage, in my relationship with my children, with others, in my workplace. All of the things that I need to do, you've got to live it out. That's the acting part, I suppose. This does not mean that I've stopped sinning, though. And it doesn't mean that I'm failing or falling short or that I'm perfect. Far from it. Because, unfortunately, to, to, uh, to human is to err. However, as I grow more in Jesus, hopefully I err less and less and less. You know, it's interesting when you, I don't know, maybe some couples have, but if you, if you ever have long conversations with your, your spouse about what you did before you knew each other, be very careful on how you present that because I did err a lot when I was in my early years and it was like, wow, I didn't realize you went and did all those things. I'm like, well, when you're a sinner, you, you do sinful things and God forgave me of that. <laughs> not that bad, not that bad. Um, wasn't that bad, but still, you know, it's... I'm, as I've grown in my faith, I'm erring, well, I'm hoping, I'm erring less and less and less. Ruth might beg to differ, but hey, no, that's another conversation. Anyway, it does not mean that I keep on sinning or make excuses why I can continue to sin, right? Because once you've got Christ and a revelation of him, well, then you want to stop doing those things that are not pleasing to him. No, because if we believe in Jesus and we live with this resurrection mindset, we should continually continually be aiming to reveal his likeness in our lives and then bear the fruit that he calls us to bear. Because that's how he, we will be known and that's how people will know us is by the fruit that we bear, right? For a person living in freedom, joy, peace or the, of the kingdom, our task is not to so much telling God about our sin because he already knows about our sin. He wouldn't be God if he didn't. But it's telling sin about our God. 
It's the other way around. We have a God that has defeated sin, and I live in him, and he lives in me. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. You know, Romans 6 says, God has defeated sin. It's beaten. We no longer have to die to it. But sin has this wonderful thing of creeping into our minds and saying, oh, you're not good enough. You've done this. No, no. I've already done, God's already done it. You need to know who my Jesus is. And he's defeated you. So I don't need to live with that in my head. Living with a resurrection mindset, we need to be kinder to ourselves. So this is for you to give yourself permission. Please be kind to yourself and to others. Like many followers of Jesus, our biggest problem is not knowing that God forgives us, but it's actually forgiving ourselves. Because I know that God has forgiven me for my sins in the past, the multitude of them, the present, and hopefully not so many in the future. But I know that when I sin, I have an advocate, and his name is Jesus. He is my advocate. He is my defender in the trial room. I know that all my shame and all my guilt were nailed on that cross, and it can still rise up, and it can still come and try and condemn me, only if I allow it to. So don't allow it to. When that happens, though, I tell my sin about God, and I say, no, I'm not going to allow that to infiltrate and use use and abuse my mind. And then I look at verses in Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, even in Genesis, you know, I walk with a resurrection mindset that it is finished and that sin has been defeated. So for those of us whose heads are maybe spinning, because we did talk, a, there's been a lot going on from the front here, you know, and perhaps thinking, okay, Sean certainly raised some interesting points here today. We can talk about it later. Um, I, can I encourage you to walk away feeling like maybe you need to read more. You know, maybe you need to research a little bit more into this because, like I said, I'm just presenting something from the front. doesn't mean it's totally true, but, you know, find out for yourself. You know, if you're feeling inspired by some of this this morning, you know, some of the points that were raised, maybe you can start drawing closer to God and start looking at believing in that resurrection mindset. You know, be inspired by James 4 verse 8 where it says, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. And there's several ways that you can do that. I think we can get Joe back up if you like. So there's several ways we can actually draw closer to God. The first one is praying. You know, there's not a day that goes by. And I think I'm, I'm grateful for this because the earliest recollection I can have was when I was about nine years old. And I didn't know Jesus. I just had a fear of God because that's what happens in South Africa. They smack you until you're afraid of God, <laughs> right? But, you know, every single day, ever since I was probably eight or nine years old, I pray. I prayed every morning. I remember even praying for a school teacher going, Lord, please may Mrs. Grunewald was her name, if I can pronounce it right. Please may she be in a good mood today and I don't want to get smacked by her. That was my prayer as a nine, eight, nine-year-old boy. It's like, but I'm still praying to God. Please let she be in a good mood, Lord. And turn up to school. Nah, she's not in a good mood. <laughs> or she's in a great mood. Yes, Lord, you answer my prayer. But no, you know, pray every day. Start your conversation with God. If you, if you can, allow yourself, make it a regular time in a regular place become consistent and persistent you know discussing your own needs and interceding for others i think the most joy i get out of prayer is not asking for my own needs but interceding for other people and when i see the fruit of that come to be i'm like oh lord thank you and we have a um when we were running a home group we had a prayer journal and we used to write down the prayers of the people and at the end of the year we would have our home group breakup party and i'd go through all the prayers and all the ones that we'd crossed off. And I, was show, and I showed people, I'm like, this is what you prayed in January, February, March. It's now November. It's been crossed off. 
God, right? <laughs> the other aspect is to worship. You know, God to pray. God wants you to praise Him. Music is an amazing way that we can worship, but it's not the only way. We worship God in, in our actions too, right? You know, worship God throughout the day. It opens your heart and it opens your mind to the foyer of God's sanctuary, inviting you into His presence. And I think it's beautiful. I think um, the leader in Pete said that a few months back. They said, you know, worship here invites you into God's room to come and worship Him with Him. Another way is to read the Bible, you know, study His Word, find out the truth for every situation in life, and let His Word define who you are. You've got to have something to stand on. Read the Word through the lens of Jesus, though, not through your own and not through the lens of man, that the words speak of and point directly to Him. They reveal who He is, they reveal His heart, His character. And lastly, give. Give God the precious gift of more of you. Spend time with Him. That's what He wants. Somebody once said, no amount of money can buy one more minute of time. It's the most precious gift any human being has. How true is that statement? Just like our own children or our own relationships, nothing is more precious in this world than time. And how do you spell time? L-O-V-E. That is all that God wants from you, is your time. Time well spent and time invested with Him. So that's my encouragement for us this morning. As I close in prayer, we will go out with another song, are we? Yes, no, me? No. No, okay. I can't think of one. Sorry? I can't think of one. Can't think of one? That's okay. Well, we're just going to close in prayer. And then we're going to invite you guys for fellowship, for tea and coffee afterwards, and continue the conversation. But Lord, my prayer this morning is... May we all walk out of here, Father God, feeling encouraged to, to learn more about you, to unpack a little bit more about what was shared this morning, Father. But Lord, to encourage each of us to walk out of this door with a resurrection mindset, Father God, that you have already done it, that we can live in freedom, Father, that it is finished, that we don't need to be suffering with any kind of condemnation of ourselves, any lies or deceit from the enemy, Lord, because you've already done it. You've already won the battle. And most importantly, Father God, I pray, Lord, that we will all be able to find time to spend with you, whether it's early morning, midday, whatever it is. Allow us to make time, Lord. And give us that time during the day, Father God. Make room for that time for us, because I know we're all busy. But show us where, Father. I thank you, Lord, and I thank you for your encouragement this morning. In Jesus' name.